0: do matzo balls count as dumplings robin interviews by activist cedric maurice we celebrate what we've dubbed as paranoia day by talking about fear by bob woodward all this and more on the lipscape I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Robin
1: Renee. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. And we have a great week to, that's going on this week. We had some technical problems, so we recorded this a couple times. So we really should know what's going on this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's also active aging week, so we can age very actively. It's reminding us to do that. Fall foliage week. I don't know. Are you the leaves turning brown where you are? No. The gold. Not yet. Not me Not yet. Maybe in Vermont. Yeah. And let's see. Wild rice week. That sounds good. I'll have that for dinner. Chimney safety week. And this is important. And could, when when do you have a chimney? Yes.
0: We all have chimneys. If you have a furnace, you have a chimney. But I I think they're really referring to uh, chimneys that are attached to fireplaces or stoves that burn wood. And you have a wood-burning stove. I do. I do have a wood-burning stove. I couldn't have survived any winter here without it. So, uh, um, yeah, we check it out.
1: It's also by Visibility Month.
2: Yes. Yeah, it is Bi Visibility Month, which is uh, so I I can be seen for a month, <laughs> yeah. and it's actually also uh, we're recording this on September 23rd, and that is Bi Visibility Day, or Celebrate Bisexuality Day, which is um, very cool to be uh, be doing. And if you do want to get to any Bi Visibility events, you can definitely check online. There are things happening um, around the country, and the world, actually, at this point, until the end of the month. So definitely look and see if you have something at your LGBT center or another
1: venue near you. Here's something. It's called uh, National Situational Awareness Day, which is a mouthful.
0: Yeah. But
1: uh, it, what is that?
0: It's uh, situational awareness is a military term, or at least that's how I discovered what it is in, in my last full-time job because we made software that would display a situational awareness map. And that would show you what's going on where there's cameras and radar. So you could see if people are trying to sneak into a facility or something like that. But I, th- I think in this context, it's sort of just be aware of your surroundings at all times um, so i guess i guess calling it national paranoia day would be too too uh, upsetting <laughs> okay.
1: and and the thing too is i th- should think that we'd have more than one day to be aware of what's going on around us well I think yeah we should do that every day yeah of course then
0: well, every day is paranoia don't. day yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: National Dumpling Day.
0: Dum- that sounds good. Dumplings are some of my favorite foods. I, what, are, what
1: kind of dumplings? All kind kinds
0: of, of all kinds of dumplings. I make I make some pretty mean dumplings in my chicken and dumpling soup, for example. Uh, although my, you- my very first time following a recipe for dumplings, I made some soup and I gave it to my dad, and he's eating it and he goes. You know, Wendy, your potatoes are a little undercooked. So I obviously <laughs> didn't make the dumplings right the first time, but I figured it you out thought since the them. dumplings
1: were potatoes. Well that's how oh. hard
0: they were. They were little oh. lumps of little hard little lumps of dough floating in soup. So did, <laughs> you, did you have the the goop on a
1: plate and flick it off with a knife? That's what I used
0: to now, No, I've, I've come up with a different technique, which is uh, it's sort of, I think I'm riffing on, on how you make matzo balls. So um, uh-huh. I use a, a little oh. spoon and take a tiny spoon and put that in the boiling water now. And I
1: was just going to ask if matzo balls count as dumplings. <sighs> I'm not sure. They may. Now, now, since it's wild rice week, I'm thinking I want some chicken soup with some rice in it and some some dumplings or some matzo uh, balls. Okay, uh, lunch at your house. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Uh, Johnny Appleseed Day. And it's Johnny Appleseed Day, because it's his birthday too. Uh, Shamu the Whale Day. is no longer with us. It's-
0: no, Shamu is no longer alive, sadly. Um, so. I don't know, is this is this sort of like a, uh, is this to honor her or to, to get more publicity for SeaWorld? This is my question. So. That's what
1: I'm suspicious <laughs> of, too, yeah. Pancake day. Hey, so that's the kind of dumpling that you flatten and have for breakfast. Pancake day. <laughs> and, uh, women's health and fitness day.
0: Yeah, we need that because we're eating all these pancakes and dumplings. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, and it's just, I love being active, so that's a good reminder to uh, get to the gym, which yeah. I which I like yeah. to do, and I'm trying to do more of these days.
1: How, how do you like to go to the gym? I don't understand that. I that's just
2: nice. love to be active. I mean, it just feels good, and I feel like I love I'd to, like walk, to walk and
1: hike. That.
2: And, what's that?
1: I'd like to learn how to do that, so I'm not, I'm not facetious, really. I'm asking sincerely. One of the
2: things that I think it happens is, is if you haven't been active in a long time, it feels, it's kind of, um, painful to get started, but then once you get into a rhythm, I don't know, it's, it's, it's something I don't like missing. It feels, it feels really good, but I think the ramp up into getting to the it feels good can be a hurdle, but I think once you do it, um, it's great.
0: For, for me. Let me uh, let me give you my my little brief experience with this because I am now I am now a regular gym goer. I go three days I go three days a week. Um, and when I was on vacation and I couldn't go to the gym, it really was awful. Um, but it happened after I injured my knee real badly, and I mm-hmm. went for a, what was it th- almost a month's worth of physical therapy. And this time in the physical therapy, they were having me do, um, these little tiny exercises to increase the flexibility and the strength in my legs. It's like Mm -hmm. the flexibility in my knee and the, and the, and the leg joints and just to get strength. And there were, there were like weight machines, um, and they had me working out and I learned enough of a routine that after and it was yeah physical therapy was great but it was like the most expensive personal trainer on the planet it's it's a very mm. it's a really expensive way to start getting back into shape but i realized if i just do the physical therapy and then just go back to being a couch potato i was going to injure myself again and, mm. um, and this kind of ties into the active aging <laughs> and the women's health and fitness. Uh, so I said, you know what, let me just go look for a gym. And I, and I found uh, planet fitness cause they're pretty much the most reasonably priced plus they're open 24 hours a day and they're like a mile and a half up the road from my house. So it's like, yes, I'm going there. Um, and I, they have a lot of the same machines that they had at the physical therapy center. So I had at least a baseline to start with. And um and now now af- it's been what is it seven months since I've injured myself, but I think I've been going to the gym about si- and including the physical therapy, it's uh, six months and mm-hmm. now i'm I'm really noticing a difference in my strength and like the ability to get up out of a chair. like I don't have to use my arms, for example and um. Mm-hmm. And I and I think it's it's one of these things like I realize like I'm gonna have to do this for the rest of my life otherwise you know I'm going to not be mobile and and that's you know my house has <clears throat> my bedroom's on the third floor so if I can't yeah do, you have a lot of stairs yeah if I can't do stairs anymore I can't live here so uh, yeah it's kind of like it's it kind of was awake my when I fell it was that was my wake up call it's like I cannot. Continue the way I'm doing, I got to change my daily routine and I just added going to the gym. And uh, it makes a difference.
1: Now that I have a broken ankle, uh, I'm thinking, wow, I should have gotten into shape before I broke my ankle because this is really bad with my (laughs) broken ankle. But I've lost all the strength I used to have. So, yeah, this is going to be my wake up call too.
0: Yeah. But as soon as I can, I
1: want to start working out
0: yeah, you're going to, yes, I would, I would recommend that. And, um,
1: Hey, talking of working out or speaking yes. of working out, don't, doesn't somebody have a birthday today?
2: Oh yeah. It's Jacqueline's birthday today. So
1: that, that was, uh. and also Serena Williams
2: <laughs> and Serena Williams. That's right. Yep. So we have some, um, some Everybody. athletes and exercise folks, um, for our birthday today, Serena Williams, um, yeah, she just had a rough time of it at the US Open. She was I robbed. Yeah.
0: She was robbed.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we definitely support her. And I think Osaka played well too. And it's a bummer that it happened the way that it did. But, you know, what can we do? Um, but yes, Karina's birthday. We've got Olivia Newton John as her birthday today. We've got Linda Hamilton also.
0: Yes, she's, uh, Linda Hamilton yeah. is one of my, uh, is in my top five badass actress people, uh, cause she played, um, she played Sarah Connor in Terminator and the, the Terminator films. And she was also, um, slightly less badass, but still pretty, pretty matcha in, um, in the Beauty and the Beast TV series with, uh. Oh, what God. a strange show that was. I enjoyed it. It was fun.
1: Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. It's actually it's- a
0: George R. R. Martin show. Mm-hmm. Just FYI. Uh, who also did Game of Thrones if you don't know who he is? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, who else's birthdays today?
2: It is T.S. Eliot's birthday, who was. He wrote who, The
1: Wasteland, didn't
2: he? Yes, The Wasteland, yeah. The Hollow Men. I've always um, really liked him, actually and George Gershwin and Winnie Mandela and who else oh Ivan Pavlov and Johnny Appleseed so those are those are the birthdays of the day
0: <laughs> and on this day in 1960 was the first president uh, the first Kennedy Nixon debate so that was the the first time that presidential candidates were seen live on TV and uh, what was you guys were, were saying the first few, several times we tried to record this segment. Yeah, we were just saying that
2: didn't, <laughs> being seen didn't really
0: go well for Nixon. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, that, and that he came off better on the radio than he did on TV. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so people who listened to the broadcast thought that Nixon won the debate and people who saw it thought Kennedy won,
0: typically. That's that was that's wild to me. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah and it it had to do with Nixon. The way he looked on camera, and he was kind of sweaty. He had a five o'clock shadow, and he kind of he his eyes darted from side to side. Whereas Kennedy looked directly into the camera, like he was looking at the people and being sincere and talking to them. And it there was a world of difference.
0: yeah oh, it makes sense, <laughs> considering. <laughs> Considering what happened later, it makes plenty of sense. Um, and in the year 1580, on this day, Sir Francis Drake circumnavigates the globe. Um, and also in 1957, West Side Story premiered on Broadway. Uh, Mambo. <laughs> and, uh, and in 1969, The Brady Bunch premiered on television. And I know that I'm probably one of the very few people of our generation that has never seen the Brady Bunch so did you like never ever watch it or just you didn't care about it I never ever watched it and I didn't care about it so, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's kind of amazing I have to say yeah. I mean I know who well, everybody you know, is at this point just from yeah. from hearing people talk about it but I had no interest in watching that you mm. know you're making as you're saying
1: that and I'm thinking I was never really into it yeah, i did watch it because that was back in the time where we only had three channels and if it was the only thing on it was the only
0: thing to watch well it wasn't there must have been something else going on I you did read th- a book no i probably watched the partridge family because that i did watch but you know ah. um i don't know what was against it uh what was playing opposite it uh in 1969 but it definitely it was probably hopefully it was something better like you know maybe Witched, or I don't even know. Um, <laughs> but uh, finally, in 1945, uh, the first American soldier was killed in Vietnam. So that is surprising, surprising to though. me. Yeah, I didn't realize we were there at that in that year. I'm I'm guessing it was part of the uh, Asian theater of operations during World War II.
2: hmm Makes sense.
1: Oh, well, what about the news of the week? What's going on? Well, we still have the tail end of Hurricane Florence Uh, has been still wreaking havoc in the country. In Toronto?
0: Yes, I had heard, I heard, uh, yeah, and this is like late breaking for us because this happened after we we tried to record the segment and then it happened, I think, yesterday or Friday that there were two tornadoes in Toronto, Canada. And that's a very, very unusual weather event for there. Uh, I discovered that because my friends are suddenly checking in to save from the tornado, and, and I know they're in Canada, and I was going, what? So then I had to go mm. look, and, and there were two of them um, from a, fl- a Florence remnant. Yeah. Uh, I had,
1: um, where, the, where the hurricane in North Carolina went, uh, I had a lot of friends and people that I knew whose who, um, houses were flooded and stuff was bad. Well, the yeah. Weather Channel did interesting things about this, like, interesting graphics and things.
2: Yes, yeah, they were. It was it was good. Although I was really surprised slash not surprised at the headline <laughs> that the Weather Channel ran that said it's not a conspiracy. Thousands died in Hurricane Maria um, oh, because yeah, leading into the Florence event. Um, 45 was tweeting about the, the fact that the Maria was really no big deal and that de- Democrats were telling but like inflating the numbers to make him look bad basically
1: yeah yeah so the, I guess the thing is is he when he was there they had only counted 18 people had died so far so he figured well that's it that's the limit he, he he's so stupid he hasn't <laughs> even stopped to think the, the hurricane has made it so they could not go out in the countryside and check and see how people are by the time they finished counting there was a lot more people but he doesn't see that
2: right well also there was a lot of aftermath of not having the aid they needed and people you know yeah
0: it's it's it was like the the power goes off in the hospital and you die because there's no power that counts yeah but your respirator is not going
1: yeah so that counts and he doesn't
0: want to count it oh this man <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another thing in the news this week is that dr christine ford has um come out as the as the uh named accuser named alligator i don't know alligator that's really alligator. Funny. the person making <laughs> allegations <laughs> alligator <laughs> oh, i made up a new word yay that looks like a, a big lizard. Um, okay. Anyway She's accused Kavanaugh of sexual assault from the Well, she's accused him she, Yeah, well, he's um, anyway uh, so she, and it was a first started out as an anonymous letter to uh, Senator Diane Feinstein and she was going to be outed. She's, she got in front of it and, and said and stepped forward and said I'm the person that wrote this letter and this happened to me and I well, I think she's a very brave person to, um, to do this And I think it's really important that she did and I hope to God it has an effect to keep this guy out um, I'm not hold- sadly I am not holding my breath but um, I guess they kept we'll see. on
1: fighting and fighting just saying we're going to we're going to go along with the schedule he's going to be approved on schedule like totally ignoring this it didn't really matter and it, it just it makes me wonder what is going through people's minds that Which, they can just ignore things like that
0: Oh because they don't care. Because they because yeah. this guy, because this guy is going to uh, support their long-term agenda for the next forty years. yeah, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, and I think there is also the dismissal of women's stories
2: that's happened, you know, if, of, of course, you know you think of Anita Hill in this situation. and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm just really hoping that her this hearing, which the the Washington Post reports that they will have a, a testimony before Senate about all this now. Um, so I'm hoping that this hearing has will have evolved from the time of uh, Anita Hill's uh, testimony. You know, in terms of her being respected in what she has to say, for sure. You know,
1: yeah. And I, I remember the Anita Hill thing, and it was it was so strange. Here is this professional woman um, who's very credible, and yet she she's vilified. Her life is ruined just because of this. I women's lives it, just,
0: are are ruined, have been ruined uh, when they come forward with accusations of of sexual misconduct. Since you know, since forever, time
1: began. Yeah, yeah.
0: and but and, and
1: I so I won- and so they're wondering why women wait so long to come forward.
0: Yeah. And um, I do want to I do want to make a reference to uh, John Adams wife Abigail Adams um, when she uh, wrote a letter to him when they were busy, you know, setting up this country Um, and they and they usually quote they usually quote her remember the ladies and and that's just the beginning of the letter and later on in the letter she says. Um, if that, if John and his colleagues put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands without paying particular care and attention to the rights of women, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. And I think they, they, that quote needs to be like, you know, plastered on the halls of Congress. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You know, but it's, we, it's good to
2: hear more of that because I wasn't really aware of the full.
0: Yeah, me no. neither. Um, until I read this one article of about basically about how American women are furious and and how it's changing things. And I have been thinking, uh, especially for things like the abortion laws, like Roe v. Wade. It's like that was 1973. I was uh, a young teenager at the time when that was when abortion became legal in the United States. And I didn't think as a 60-year-old woman, I would have to be worrying about losing that right to have um, autonomy over my own body. You know, this is this is this kind of crap that we have to keep fighting over and over and it cycles around and it cycles around. And when you look at it in, in uh, a little more deeply, you've, you realize some of this shit's been going on for hundreds of years. That we, you know, or even since the the formation of our country. And I would really like to see some more progress being made. So I'm
2: here with Cedric Maurice, a longtime social activist, uh, minister, artist, and writer. Um, He does a lot of things, wears a lot of hats, and I'm very happy to be speaking with you. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so I've known you since, I uh, think, about 1995 as yeah. an activist, and wow. I'm just um, curious to hear a little bit about how you got to being someone who wanted to be outspoken and part of the BI
3: community. <clears throat> hmm. Well, that's an interesting question. First, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I appreciate being here, Robin. <laughs> and I love your... your um, sultry voice. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Flattery. (laughs) That's really nice. Um, That's a great question. How did I become someone who wanted to be outspoken and all of that in the BI community? Um, Well, I have to give a lot of props. Well, I guess I will first say that spiritually speaking, I eventually got to a place where I just Realized that a certain part of my life that most of my life prior to that I had not been um, expressive self-expressive in the world that I had kind of operated in the world from a place where I was more focused on pleasing other people mm-hmm. um, in the hopes that my needs would be met mm-hmm. um, not to jump into like a whole thing about it but And then in that moment, I had to own the fact that I needed to be more forthcoming and outspoken about what my needs in the world were, more self-expressive. And in doing that, that totally was a shift in my personality and how I was being in the world. So that was sort of independent of who I was as a bisexual person, Mm -hmm. but Um, It was very important to the part of your question of speaking to me being outspoken. Mm -hmm. Um, My presence in the bisexual community, on the other hand, um, became... I I more or less created um, a presence within the bisexual community online when the internet first started to kind of take off back in the um, late 90s, the mid to late 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was in the mid 90s when I met um, you, actually, at the Bi Conference, the fifth annual Bi Conference in, um, in Harvard, right. um, that I also met um, Dr. Farajajay Jones. And um, during that conference, if you recall, they had created a black contingency. And Dr. Farajay led the contingency, and we all met over at some restaurant. In Cambridge, I think it was mm-hmm. um and during that session, you know, just in terms of talking with him, you know, since he was speaking too before I get too deep into it, you want to talk a little bit about who he was
2: uh no, I want okay. you to say it, say it, but I have a lot of questions, so i
3: want okay, to, yeah okay. <laughs> that's okay so, <laughs> so um, um dr ferageje um was this amazing man who. I believe he worked with Howard, Howard University, I believe. But he was an um, out black bisexual um, um, scholar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was super duper impressed by all of that. You know, the Mm -hmm. fact that he was educated, that he was, um, you know, older than me, but somebody who had been in the world living in his body, you know, um, Operating from a place of ownership and taking personal responsibility for the decolonization of his mind Mm. and doing that Mm. through, you know, um, owning his own queerness and speaking about it and writing about it. He was just an amazing person. So speaking to him, he really inspired me to go back to Atlanta and to create my second bisexual network there. Uh, which was specifically uh, for people of color, which was called Color by Numbers. And um, it was around then that I began to really kind of get into the whole social media. Um, they didn't have it like they do today. Mostly it was Yahoo groups and that sort of thing. But I created Color by Numbers in a, um, addition to The Barn, which was the Bisexual Atlanta Resource Network, And I began using the internet as a way to let people know of its existence and to connect with other bisexual people and communities across the country. Um, And so that kind of became my initial foray into the bisexual community. But the conference itself made me aware that bisexuals were doing things globally everywhere, that we were creating communities and that we were networking and that we were um, creating, um, institutions of a sort. They might not have been huge, but we were making contributions politically and that we were writing books and that we were advancing our cause. And we were talking about the ideas and shared experiences of our lives. And, you know, people were, um, learning from one another you know there were magazines and there were books being written and there we didn't have podcasts like this but you know people were connecting in ways that allowed us to not feel isolated and not feel like um you know like we were alone Mm -hmm. and so yeah so that's kind of those two things I guess combined is kind of what brought me to I hope that answers the question.
2: Yes, no, that was that was <laughs> great. That was perfect. So, you, you know, you talked a little bit about feeling, that feeling of uh, aloneness, like there's nobody else out there right. like us. And I know a lot of people experience that before coming out and just, you know, or even still sometimes feeling not quite represented in the LG world right. yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that. Yeah. So what do you think has changed? Or do you, do you have a sense of, what the issues were then and what they are now? Has it changed? Has it, what's grown Hmm. for us?
3: Back then, I think the issues were, well, it's always been to some degree, isolation and lack of connection, right? right? Mm -hmm. You know, because we have so few visible role models. Um, When you take, you know, being bisexual and, feeling isolated and kind of alone there. And then you take being black on top of that, even when you find bisexual community, but you don't find people from your culture, you still wind up feeling isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. So um, um, I think a lot of the issues back then were um, sort of dismantling stigma around what it meant to be bisexual, kind of um, developing and growing through what the actual definition of bisexuality was, who was included in, in the community and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. At least that's a lot of what was happening back then. And I think a lot of those issues are similar today, um, depending upon what circles you kind of connect to. You know, there's a lot more writing um, you know, obviously, there's more academia on queerness, but I think there's still a lot of stigma um, against the word bisexuality. So I understand today that people would prefer to claim titles that, um, in the name, in the name of, um, in the name of this deconstructing labels, people would prefer to claim labels that dissociate them from the stigmas connected with being bisexual. Interesting. <laughs> you know? so, is that, so some folks feel, like is some folks seem to think that it's better to utilize a label that you have to explain to other people and um, therefore people are not quite clear as to what you mean when you say such and such a thing, so now you have to explain to them. It's better to do that than to have a label that people have preconceived notions about, and that's weighed down with stigma, and have to deal with the biphobia and have to deal with the, you know, hostilities that people and assumptions that people may have when you claim that label. Hmm. So. so, so
2: you're saying that you think that the use of words like omnisexual or polysexual or
3: pansexual are, are partly. While, while, I, that, while I know, you know that. that, you know, like I think when I first came across words like that, mm-hmm. it was like really interesting that there were so many words underneath the bisexual umbrella. But my experience has been since um, being a part of the bisexual community for so long is that, you know, for the most part, we try and I'm, talk, I'm talking collectively and I'm not saying everybody does it, but I'm saying in a very general sense, you see it taking place within our community. You know, people really work hard to kind of dissociate themselves from the stigmatized perceptions associated with the label bisexual. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's necessarily a negative thing. I just know that it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, people mm-hmm. do it. So, um, so I'm not saying that everybody who uses labels such as what you just mentioned um, is doing that. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not saying, okay when I meet someone who says that they're pansexual, they are attempting to dissociate themselves from bisexuality. That's another assumption. And I would not promote such a thing. Right.
2: Yeah, Uh, I think it's a different I think it's very related, but mm -hmm. somewhat different identity. So it's an interesting I want to have people who identify as pan on the Mm -hmm. show eventually as well to sort of. Have a deeper
3: understanding yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and i and, and i um ideologically speaking i can totally relate to it you know i don't feel that love or um sexual attraction should necessary and i hate to use the word "should," but i can i can identify and relate with it resonates for me to um the shared experience that my love and my sexual attraction is not dependent upon what someone has in their pants or how they manifest themselves in terms of gender. Mm-hmm. So if a person shows up as a woman, that doesn't automatically make me attracted to her um and that's whether she has a penis in her pants or a vagina in her pants, you know. Um it doesn't really matter what a person's gender is or what a person's sex is when it comes to whether or not I'm attracted to them. If I'm attracted to that person, regardless, mm-hmm. then um, you know I'm gonna be attracted to them. And if I'm interested in having sex with them or embarking on an experience of love, then I'm going to share that, whether you know I'm gonna share my desire with them. It may be rejected or it may be reciprocated, but I will let them know, or at least let myself know and own it, I'm not gonna distance myself from that experience just because of a person's gender or sex. So the idea of it resonates for me wholeheartedly. And I think that people oftentimes get into splitting hairs. Um, I could technically refer to myself as a bisexual pansexual, such as I know Robin Oaks chooses to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, for me, I think that it's really important um, for me as a person to identify as bisexual. Because of the fact that no other word connects me to the community that we've developed over the last 30 years, Mm. such as bisexual. And um, a lot of work has gone into, you know, writing and developing theory, um, sharing experience, hearing the voices of bisexual people across the globe. And most of that work has been done under the banner of bisexuality. You know, Michael Page, when he created um, By Cafe and Buy Flag, you know, when he was doing that, we were talking back then when he was flying. And I haven't heard from Michael Page in, in decades, you know, but the thing is, is that, you know, being connected to people who were doing these things that became seminal and landmark work to the com- what community we have built. For me, that's important. And that's my tribe. So I'm not trying to dissociate myself from that. I could claim a lot of things in terms of shared ideologies and understanding. But for me, the work has been important. And my connection to the work is that tribe, that label, that title. Mm -hmm. So I can go and I can be in love with a pansexual person. I can date. You can call yourself whatever you want. I don't care, really, at the end of the day. Um, If I love you and you love me, if we're attracted and we just want to bump uglies, you know, <laughs> it really doesn't matter. You know, we can do all of that and you can get up and call yourself whatever the hell you want to. You know, I'm OK with it. You know, I've never challenged anybody on what they choose to call themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know what tribe I belong to, you know.
2: Nice. That brings me to a, an interesting thing. You said you've been thinking about a project um, where you want to go and visit and maybe interview by yeah. Yeah. black men. Yeah. What is that? Tell me more about that.
3: <laughs> well, I think it's kind of a... I've been thinking a lot about it, right? I've been thinking about I was thinking about it sort of here and there over the last couple of years. And essentially what it's about is um, I just really find that a lot of bisexual men, particularly black men, um, are kind of out there. We're in the abyss. We're out there in our relative, you know, camps, you know, and most of us don't feel particularly connected to the gay community. Most of us don't feel particularly uh, connected to what bisexual community exists. And a lot of us are floundering, but I've noticed after decades of connecting with bisexual men across the country, that there are some similarities in our life experiences and our philosophies, our worldviews, um, even though we're so disconnected. So um, while um, Dr. Um, Harakudi, you know, had um, um, done the work around the anthology, Having uh, called um, recognized the black the voices of bisexual men, mm-hmm. it, it's not culturally specific, except in the specificity of the individual who tells his story. Right. Right. So, um, but he. It's is, a great book, by the way. Yeah, it is cool, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, these guys just really showed out in terms of sharing their stories, and it's very intimate and very um, informative. I had a great time reading it. In fact, that caused me to then go buy other books, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So I just really, yeah, I agree. If you haven't gotten it, go get it. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So, um, but in sharing that experience and um, Dr. Haru, you know, also doing, working now currently on um, the No Homo, No Hetero film, the documentary that he's working on you know, that does specifically look at the experience of Black bisexual men. um, And it does get into um, men from across the country that he's been interviewing. But of course, he's creating, you know, a film and he's raising money for it. And, you know, hopefully it's going to be very researched and very well done. I'm thinking of doing something much more guerrilla, you know, Um, at first it was... um, I thought of it more as just something to do, just to have some fun. You know, just take a tour across the country and just meet bisexual guys that I've networked with over the years. And since then, I've begun to think that it would be interesting if I was to do this, you know, kind of in the spirit of Catfish. You know how that film, how the series uh, with Neve on um, MTV, where um, the series is called Catfish, and they basically go to wherever these people believe they're being catfished online, and then they find the catfish, and then they reveal who he is, and (laughs) they use all of these little dash cams and things to record an interview, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was thinking along those lines of creating something that's much more of um, an adventure, you know, and a spontaneous kind of glimpse into the lives of these people so you know what i want to do is to create a list of guys who are down with it and then i essentially get in a car and just drive to where they are and you know and then interview them with some very specific questions but also kind of take a glimpse into their lives like how do you spend your day you know um what's a night hanging out with you like you know um, and then just go to the next city and hang out with the next person, you know, and whatever that adventure pulls together, then putting that in some sort of, you know, um, um, low budget, low cost film version that can either go online um, or in some medium that's not going to cost because I don't want to get caught up into Production values, or distribution, or finding spot—you know what I mean. I just want to be able to do something fun and then just kind of put it out there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the idea. Of
2: it. I I will love that series. So I do hope you create this. I think it's going to be fun, and I think I would I think I would learn a lot, and I think anybody would who who yeah. watch something like that to see the differences and the and the threads that um, connect you yeah. all. You know. Yeah. So thank you. I I just have one more question. If you have any word of uh, inspiration for people who might be listening, or anything that you'd Words like to share Words of inspiration
3: in what way?
2: <laughs> anything. You're always inspiring. What do you, what do you
3: got? <laughs> you know what? I guess if I was to share, if somebody put me on the spot right now and just shoved a microphone, my phone, a microphone in my face and said, which
2: I just did, <laughs> right,
3: it said, you know, all the world, the world, whatever inspiration you have right now at the forefront of your consciousness, I would say that what's at the forefront of my consciousness right now. My mom recently was um, um you know, had uh, a health crisis, right? So um out of the blue, I'm preparing to go, had this great weekend in New York and da da, dah. and then I get a call that morning that I was about to go, that my mom was in the hospital, and so I literally had to change plans on a dime, and hop in the car, and instead of going to New York, I wound up going to Atlanta, and um, literally, I didn't know whether or not my mom was still going to be here when I got there, you know, Mm. so um, she went through her thing, and, you know, by the grace of God, and, you know, all the, whatever you consider to be divine, um, you know, she pulled through, and so, in talking to my mom after the fact, there was a moment, this was well after she had gotten through it, and there was a moment when we were talking and I was about to hang up and she was like, Cedric. And I was like, yeah. And she said, Cedric, live your life. Live your life. And I said, I will. And I hung up. And then I reflected on whether or not I had been doing so. How have I been living my life? And so if I had words of inspiration to share with anybody, it would be that. It would be whatever you have wanted to do and have not done, do. Whoever you are and whatever being you are meant to be, be. Because there's no redoing the time that has passed. There's only the time that you have right now and whatever amount of time you have going forward. So be who you're meant to be and do what you're meant to do. And that would be what I would have to share to the world.
2: (laughs) Thank you. I hear that. And that is a beautiful way to end this. Thank you so much. Sorry
3: for being emotional.
2: But no, you know
3: I get drippy.
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> perfect and it's something we all need to remember. So thank you very much.
3: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Hey, I'm Robin Renee. You can find me online at RobinRenee.com. You can find my music on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. Uh, if you want to look me up on Facebook, I'm there at Facebook.com slash RobinReneeFan. Uh, Twitter is at SpiritRocksSexy. You can follow me on Instagram at Music. And I will be performing at Canal Fest, the Delaware and Raritan Canal Festival, on October 13th. And the festival is at 1 Market Street in Somerset, New Jersey. There's going to be music all day long from 11 a.m. till 5. And I will be on the Sunrise solo stage at around 2 o'clock. So check my website for more details. And you can search for this event and RSVP on Facebook. And there's lots more information
0: there. Hope to see you. The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative coloring book for grown-ups. Over 30 original illustrations to color, printed on 80-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies, spiral-bound to lay flat when open, printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from wendycards.com. So we've all uh, bought copies or been given copies of Woodward's book Fear and last week. And uh, we've been reading it um, dutifully all week. I'm about halfway through. I know. I know the rest of you aren't completely through it either but I think it's too important to not talk a little bit about it so Mm. Mm. yeah how far have you gotten in there
1: Uh, it's difficult you know I'm a slow reader so and also it's you read something and then you just got to put it down for a while you can't can't read it continuously I don't imagine how these people these news reporters like uh or um um rachel maddow reads the whole thing in one night uh-oh we have a alert going on here emergency flash flood warning so we're uh in somerset yeah they get yeah flash flood warnings
0: i get those sometimes too but not here yet and uh and I, I, that's also kind of dovetails with that whole uh, presidential emergency announcement system oh, that they oh, want to no, implement. Yeah. Oh my that's god,
2: <laughs> he, he's going to be
0: announcing shit to us
2: directly. Like, oh my god,
0: yeah, he's going to be able okay. to, to 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 basically to tweet to the whole country. I but they they were going to have a test of it on Thursday this week, and and now they're they've postponed it, which I'm very glad about, and I, I really wish there's a way for us to opt out. Take that shit off his desk. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. But, well, then that this should go into the yeah, podcast. Yeah, we're
0: recording. Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. Taking things off of his desk, it was kind of, it's, reading some of this stuff is kind of amazing uh, to me. I, I, I also can't read more than four or five chapters at a clip without having to stop and, and do something else. Um and one of the things I was doing, which I'm going to talk about in another fo- podcast, is I'm reading this other book called "The Obama Inheritance: Fifteen Stories of Conspiracy Noir." And it's hilarious. they're very they're short stories based on the conspiracy theories that were floating around during <clears throat> during the Obama administration and and it's really quite the perfect um, palette cleanser for reading about what's going on in the Trump administration it really is it, it puts me back in a, in a normal mood instead of instead of feeling like you know the weight of the the world on me which I guess well, is similar to to the people in the administration oh <laughs> what was the name of that book again uh the Obama inheritance and it's, where do you get that I got it on Amazon um it's out. It's a paperback. It's a trade paperback. I'm sure it's available where you know where where fiction is sold. Um, mm-hmm. well, that sounds great. It is. It is a great book, uh, and I will I will do a, like a proper review of it later when I'm done with it. I'm only about halfway through that too. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. curious
2: about what people have found surprising in the Woodward book so far, or, or enlightening. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, surprising is a good question.
2: Well, I did. I, I actually did find something. I'm just you know, like for yeah. me, example, for example, um, the influence that Jared had in some situations. Oh, Mark yeah. Schner was a little bit surprising for some reason because I, I guess he's so quiet publicly, and the um, that I just didn't know that that was happening. So I it's just interesting.
0: And and it's, Ivanka mm-hmm. being the president whisperer, mm. right. You know, yeah, and, and yeah. how and how they were kind of slipping in a, a more liberal agenda and, and Bannon was getting all bent out of shape. And, and you know, um, I was really um, impressed with Woodward's even-handedness in how he describes things because mm-hmm. you really don't get any judgment from him. Mm-hmm. Right. You I know, think, you know I, I finding that to be really refreshing because I, I guess because I'm reading a lot of op eds and stuff online and everybody's got like, you know, they, they definitely have like a bias one way or another. Mm-hmm. And and this book does not. And, and he does write it in such a way that it's it's like storytelling. It's 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 really that well, that, that is the thing
1: that really struck me was the storytelling of it in that. Uh, as you're reading, he's describing the scene. He's not just saying who was there and what they said. He's also talking about things like what the room was like and what clothes people were wearing, yeah. that Chris Christie was in sweatpants. And stuff like. <laughs> so that would that make It, me it laugh. gives It gives me um, more of a feeling that I'm reading a novel rather yeah. than a p- piece of nonfiction. And what was surprising to me and that's why I laughed at that question, because it really was surprising to me, was as I was reading along with this seemingly a novel, I was starting to get the impression that the anti-hero of this story that I was reading was Steve Bannon. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. hmm Yeah, and I, it was like whether his plans are gonna work or not, let's <laughs> find out.
0: Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I also was impressed with
2: Woodward's interviews that he did around the book, you know, on this circuit in the beginning. That yeah. He's very even handed. And he I mean, he, I think it's clear that he feels it's super important for us to know some of the issues that are happening in this administration. But it's done in such a way that he's like, wait, like if someone asks him a leading question to sort of get him to trash somebody or to be negative in that way he, he's not going to take that bait at all he's like this is what I saw this is this is this is what I heard this is what I've written yeah the facts as true as I can see them and I think that's important and that's not also, have
0: that extreme back and forth as yeah much. I agree I agree completely with you and it and it came out uh he I saw his um his sit down with uh Stephen Colbert um uh, like mm-hmm. the day, I think the day before the book came out or something or the day after or something like that. And it was really, it was really, um, interesting to, to hear how, you know, he doesn't really have, he doesn't like hate people because it, it's, it would keep him from doing his job because he has to get, he has to make friends with them. Otherwise they're not going to give him papers. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and well, that's what he was describing. He was saying, you know, like the second or third visit when he was talking to a person, it's like the like the second or third time they'll like say, oh, hang on, I have I have a, a copy of that memo, you know, and then they would bring it the to the notes him. I took. Yeah. Yeah. And and if he if he had an antagonistic relationship with these people, they wouldn't they wouldn't give him anything, you know, um, and so, I so I understand now why it's important to develop these relationships with people who would be, um, I, I, you know, a, you know, your your political opposition or whatever. And and I'm glad he's able to have access like this. And I can only hope that he can continue to have access like this, so we can find out what the hell is going on for the rest of this administration's term. You know. Mm. Um I was also really, really surprised at how influential Lindsey Graham is. He does pop up. Yeah, I mean well he's in there he's in there all the time. He's 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 he seems to be talking uh forty five down from a lot of shit, you know, and and uh, it was, it, it's really interesting, you know, and, it, and it's interesting from, from an aspect of like, you know, you've read the stuff in, in the papers and you've seen stuff on TV and then you're reading this behind the scenes thing. And it really does put a lot of, um, it, it fills in a lot of the, a lot of the blurry bits in the background to what's been happening. And, mm. and a lot of the, a lot of the whys you know, why is this happening like this? Why did they do, um, I can't can't remember which particular piece of, oh, right, okay. It was was why they pulled out of the Paris Agreement, for example. Oh, yeah. You know?
1: Yeah.
0: The reason that they did that is because if they didn't, they couldn't then get rid of all these environmental regulations that were in place. They had to get rid of, this is like, you know, step one to dismantling this entire other thing. The EPA, yeah. So and and I have uh, a lot more respect for Tillerson than I did originally um, because he seemed to actually want to be doing his job. So it's a worthwhile read. Oh, certainly is. I mean, and I think
2: I think we're in good company because I heard it's on its ninth
0: pressing already. In the first,
2: uh, wow. Well, I think when they
0: released the book, I think they had a million copies printed or up already. Yeah, and they they were also yeah well i'm reading an electronic version so um so at least i didn't kill any trees for this but (laughs) yeah but yeah if you if you if you're out there and you haven't read it you know the little snippets that they publish here and there and the ones that the late night people are latching onto and and you know making fun of a 45 over that's like the tip of the iceberg um and if you have any interest in what's going on in your government and how things work uh this book is is really important it's like yeah you kind of get you kind of get a a a hint like watching stuff like the west wing but you know like like that porter guy the secretary to the president Mm -hmm. you know i had no idea that that one person had so much power in the white house hey hey do you think they'll ever make a movie of this book I'm sure they will. I'm pretty sure they will. Do you know. think Robert Redford
1: will play Woodward again?
0: I doubt that. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> he may uh, direct it. Who knows? Yeah. I don't think they'll be making this movie anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, I'm they sure they will. usually give us some
2: breathing time, right? You know? Yeah. I
0: yeah. Th- yeah. I th- yeah. And it all depends upon what
1: turns out you know how things turn out yeah know. that's true because if history we, is
0: written by the victors <sighs> well we, us. we have to be victorious because not to be will is unacceptable yes. unacceptable yes you've been listening to the leftscape podcast find us online at leftscape.com on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday.